Yeah, and so now we are, we finished the spring quarter last week. Now this is the first lesson of the summer quarter. We will be in the book of Proverbs for the summer. And uh, today, this is lesson one. The title of the lesson is The Path of Wisdom. That sounds like something useful, doesn't it? And that's Proverbs 1 and 2. So, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this book, which is the majority of which was written by King Solomon. And uh, he was a wise man, and he got that from you. And so we pray that we would learn uh, from him and from the others who have written some Proverbs here. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Okay, so the first section, section A, is called Wisdom's Rewards, and that's verses 1 through 7. But let me just say something about the authorship here. Uh, the authors are Solomon, of course, who wrote, uh, it's thought, chapters 1 through 9, and then chapter 10, 1 through 22, 16. And also, then chapters 25 through 29 are also Solomon's Proverbs, which were copied into Scripture by Hezekiah's men. So Solomon reigned from 971 B.C. until 931 B.C., and Hezekiah reigned from 715 B.C. to 786 B.C., not 786, 715 to 686 B.C. So there's several hundred years in between those. And then a couple of other named authors in Proverbs are Augur, who wrote chapter 30, and King Lemuel, who wrote chapter 31. And we don't know anything about those people, other than that they're the author of Proverbs. Yeah, can I get somebody to read verses 1 through 7? To know wisdom and instruction. Yeah, that is the purpose yeah. of the book. And, and, and our quarter. Yeah. So the comment from the gallery was that God does not mess around. He gets to the point in the first verse. Yeah, the book of Proverbs is to know wisdom and instruction and to discern the sayings of the wise. But so, yeah, verses 1 and 2, there's, the book is written to give people wisdom and understanding. Solomon is passing on the wisdom God gave him. Remember, he, uh, Solomon went to the tabernacle, which was in Gibeon, when he became king. So it's it's interesting, at that time, the ark itself was in Jerusalem in a tent. David had brought it. So yeah, the ark was in a tent in Jerusalem, which, you know, had been taken and out in the wilderness, sort of, for uh, over almost 100 years. Yeah, but the tabernacle was in Gibeon, the tabernacle and the altar was in Gibeon, and Solomon went to that altar and offered a bunch of sacrifices, and in a dream later that night, 
God asked him what he wanted. What an opportunity, right? Solomon is sleeping. God came to him in a dream and asked him what he wanted. It was a blank check. And Solomon said he wanted wisdom in order to lead Israel. And God was pleased with that request, as opposed to other things that he could have asked for. And so he gave him wisdom. And we learn later in the New Testament that Jesus said there was no one wiser than Solomon until he showed up. So Solomon now in this book is passing on the wisdom God gave him to uh, Israel, but you know, ultimately to us also, the whole world. So verse 3 is to receive instruction in wise behavior. A famous evangelist in our day, Billy Graham, recommended reading a chapter of Proverbs a day. Proverbs does not mention God. Well, it does mention God, but it doesn't talk about approaching God, you know. It, it's about interactions with other people, mainly. And it's very practical, a very practical level. So, yeah, and also James leans heavily on the Proverbs. Remember, James was the first New Testament book written about A.D. 45, and uh, much, much of the allusions in James are to Proverbs, to different specific Proverbs. Because James was explaining that once Jesus had fulfilled the law of Moses for those who believed in him, so how are we supposed to live now? And uh, that is what the book of James is about, which we did last quarter. And, uh, and again, much of it is from the Proverbs. So verse 4, this book will give prudence to the naive. It will give young people knowledge and instruction. So it's a manual on successful interaction with others. Verse 5 is an interesting verse, which is, this concept is mentioned other places in the Bible, which I'm going to look up. I'm going to Hebrews chapter 5, but I don't want you to go there. <laughs> Write it down and look it up later, if you, if you wish, which it's always a good idea. But So Hebrews chapter 5, 12 and 14 says this. Well, actually, let me read the proverb. Proverbs 1, verse 5. A wise man will hear an increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So if you start out wise and you listen to the Proverbs or read the Proverbs, your wisdom will increase. Okay? Now, this is a concept that um, the Bible teaches is that if you are a believer and you submit to the Holy Spirit, he will grant you more revelation. He will grant you more wisdom. But it comes about as you submit to what you know now, what you know already. And so the author of the Hebrews was writing to the Hebrews, and he was kind of chastising them because they had not done this. So it says, Hebrews 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
Okay, so he's saying that to the Hebrews. You ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So they had regressed. Okay, now why had they regressed? For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. So it's like they heard, but they didn't put it into practice. Okay, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern both good and evil. So, you know, that is, most of the Bible is helping us to grow. Our salvation is very quick, you know. We believe Jesus, okay, boom, we're saved. We're born again. And then the rest of our life is spent in growth. And if... Right, exactly. If you are committed, and you have to do this ahead of time, really, because many times you'll come into a you'll come to a scripture that you don't really want to do. You know, you have to commit. Said, "Okay, Lord, I will do what you say." And if you and if you do that, He will give you more insight. He will give you more understanding. He will make you wiser than you were before. But it it comes with the uh, willingness to do what he says. You know, in Luke somewhere it says, you call me Lord, Lord. No, yeah, you call me Lord, why don't you do what I say? (laughs) Why don't you do what I say? Yeah, Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, why don't you do what I say then? You know, and that's his constant problem with us. Constant problem with us. So, Anyway, but this is a great promise. A wise man will hear an increase in learning. So then it ends up, this section ends up, the fear of the Lord, verse 7, is the beginning of knowledge. And then the opposite of that, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this book is about wisdom, but before wisdom can happen, you have to have knowledge, right? So, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. How would you describe the fear of the Lord? Respect. Yeah. Respect. And, you know, there, there is a certain fear. Uh, in, in, yeah, a, a certain reverence. You know, it, if you set your mind on the qualities, the characteristics of God, that is an overwhelming thing to think about the fact that he is omnipotent, all-powerful, you know, yeah, all-knowing, you know. It should, you know, you don't want to get on his bad side <laughs> because he, you know, I, I I, think of the Lord as just humming with power, you know, just just humming, you know, like a like a transformer ready to blow. Of course, he's always under control, but he has so much power. You know, just think of it. He's spoken. All this came into being. Um, and, and so we are very thankful that he is as gracious and loving as he is with that power that he holds. But the fear of the Lord, to acknowledge that, to realize that, is the beginning of knowledge. If you refuse that, you can seem smart but you're an idiot. 
because you buy into false things. You know, the main false thing now is evolution, evolutionary theory. That is totally false. And, you know, the fear of the Lord will help you to get out of it, to get out of all these false ideologies. Um, well, the Lord... Yeah, the Lord is a, is a gentleman. He refuses to force us. He will let us have our way. He will try to convince us as hard as he can, but he will not force us. And that can be dangerous for us. Okay, so anyway, and okay, we're going to talk now about dangerous friendships. This is section B, and that's verses 1 through... I'm. Chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. Is anybody up for that one? Okay, thank you. Now, as you read that, what does that make you think of? The answer, I'm going to say it for the online people. The heart, what, what did you say? The heart, wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But it also shows too. Yeah, you know what that, this, reading this passage made me think of? Gangs. It made me think of street gangs. Yeah, this made me think of street gangs. Because they offer a positive thing, right? Throw in your lot with this, we'll all have one purse. We'll, we'll all do this all together, you know? It'll be an enterprise that we can join into, we can belong to. It's a place of belonging. Verses 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, when your children were teenagers and you gave them instruction, what was their response? Many times, yeah. Eye rolls, stuff like that. So anyway, he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. And then he goes on to say, They're a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Now, this goes on to our dispensation, if you will, if I can use that word. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3 says, this is to church people, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. See, that's awesome. That's what parents should teach their kids. If you want to live a long time, you need to honor me. <laughs> because that's a true promise. That is a promise from God to children. If you honor your parents, with it comes a long life from God. So um, sometimes the natural tendency is not to honor your parents. That's the natural man's tendency, you know. The natural man always knows best himself or herself. So, but the Lord through Solomon here is telling people to listen to their parents. And he's, you know, he's talking about himself. He's the one who's speaking and for the kind of the nation as the kids. But anyway, blessing comes with obedience to parents. That's that's something that you know should be taught to children. 
that obedience to parents brings blessing, not just from the parents, but from God himself. They need to know that. Um, and then verses 10 through 18 are descriptions of Solomon now is warning. Sinners are going to entice you. Okay, they they will say, "Come, come on, come with us." You know, they will they want to recruit you. He says, "Do not consent. Just say no." Is that's what Nancy Reagan used to say, right, about drugs? Just say no. So yeah, I mean this this made me think of modern day gangs. The draw to the draw to the gangs are first money verse 13 we will find all kinds of precious wealth we will fill our houses with spoil and so you know i don't have much experience with gangs personally but i've watched about them on tv <laughs> and uh you know the gang kids have a lot of uh, wealth they have nice cars they have pretty tennis shoes, you know, yeah, things like that, and so you know and they and they tend to reside in poor poorer neighborhoods where the other kids don't have such material things, so one of the draws is money. We will fill our houses with spoil, find all kinds of precious wealth, and the way they get this money is terrorizing people. Verses 11 12, if they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol. Doesn't that make them feel powerful when they do that? When they do? Yeah. So, you know, if you're high up in a gang, you have power, don't you? Over people. The power of fear. And uh, <clears throat> that is a draw power. That's a draw for politicians, too. Power. I think it's a very intoxicating thing, and that tends to make them give up their principles once they get in power, because they don't want to give it up. And that is what is going on with Satan. He has power. He's the ruler of this world. He does not want to give it up. And he's doing everything he can in my opinion, he's doing everything he can to destroy our constitutional republic, which is built on biblical foundations. Um, and he has some of his minions are working as hard as they can to destroy it. The rule of law in the United States. And so it will be only power. Exactly. It will be those in power who will rule irrespective of the law. That is what is, that's the transformation that Barack Obama brought. He started it. He said, we're going to transform this country. He is. He's transforming it from a constitutional republic into, into a dictatorship. Into a dictatorship where power is the rule, not the law. So, um, but we're on the right side, people. When I talk like that, I have to remind myself because I depress myself <laughs> and I can't stay there. <laughs>
I cannot stay there, you know. Yes, but God, but God. So the draw is um, money. It is power. And verse 14, throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. It is belonging. You belong to this powerful group that people are afraid of, and you can make a lot of money in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they can't. You can't let your guard down. <laughs> yeah. There is no trust. Yeah, it, it is the opposite of love your neighbor. So violence is involved in verses. Uh, so the teacher's instruction is verse 10 and verse 15. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Verse 15 says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. And then 18 and 19, this is, this is the reason he's warning people off from this. They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. If you want to die young, be involved in something like this. So, and Jesus said the same thing. In Matthew 26, this was um, as he was being arrested and, you know, taken into his six bogus trials. Um, the disciples made a feeble attempt to defend him. And uh, remember, Peter cut off the, the servant of the high priest. He cut off his ear with a sword. And Jesus had to heal him. And Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. If you live a life of violence, you will, you will fall to it yourself. And that's what Solomon is saying here. Gang life is tempting, I'm sure, for poor kids who see the people involved with all this money. They have respect fearful respect from people who are afraid of them, you know, and they say, I want to be involved in that. This Solomon is saying, do not do that. Do not consent because you'll end up dying if you're involved in a violent mob like this. And um, that is God's word and it is true. So that was the first warning in chapter one. And now in uh, the next section, we're going to look at a second uh, warning, and it's about wisdom calling out, and then it gives another warning. Um, you want me to read that one? I can read that one. So verses 20 through 27. So wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel, and did not want my reproof. 
I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Okay, this isn't the other warning, it's the next section. There is a warning here. So, <clears throat> wisdom is calling. What section? It, that was uh, verses 20 through 27 in Proverbs chapter 1. Yeah. So the Lord wants his image bearers, which is us, humans, to have wisdom. He wants that. Because is wisdom being, you know, when you think of finding wisdom, sometimes people say it's secret. You know, you have to go to the ends of the earth to find it and stuff like that. What does verse 20 say? They're shouting. Wisdom is shouting. Yeah. Yeah, is it out in the wilderness? You have to go to Tibet on a mountain to find it? No, it's at the head of the noisy streets. <laughs> Wisdom is calling out in the middle of the population center, in the middle of the city. It's not hard to find. Wisdom is not hard to find. See, God wants people to have wisdom. And uh, that brings up Deuteronomy 30 and verses 11 through 14. This is Moses speaking. This is about the Mosaic law, which he has just discussed with them. He says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us, to get it for us, and make us hear it, that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea, that you should say, who will cross the sea for us, to get it for us, and make us hear it, that we may observe it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. So the Lord to Israel was making the Mosaic Law very accessible. You don't have to go to the ends of the earth to get it. And our problem is not that wisdom is hard to find. Our problem is what it was talking about later. Verse 24 says, I called wisdom, I called, and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. So wisdom is not hard to find. The problem with us is our nature. We have a sin nature that is unwilling many times to accept wisdom. This is what makes parenting so difficult. It makes parenting difficult because children, like us, have a sin nature and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear what, you know, is wise counsel from parents. Many times that's why discipline is involved in child rearing to make them willing to hear it, you know. Um, it's, you know, it, our sin nature is just deadly. Yes, it is deadly. This is the, it's the doctrine of depravity that gives us trouble. The doctrine of depravity. So um, I want to read you something else. Now the Calvinists take this a little too far. 
the doctrine of depravity. They say that we're so depraved that we're like a stump. A stump or a, or a rock. And we cannot make any decisions at all. Well, that's not true, because if that were true, we could not sin either. We can make decisions. The problem is we are reluctant to listen to God. We're reluctant to do it as unbelieving people, and we need pain. <laughs> Many times we need pain. He knocks us down so that we look up. That's most of the time how the Lord gets a hold of us. But anyway, this is Paul talking about how the unbelieving are. Romans 3, verse 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. That's what we just read about. Destruction and misery in their paths, and the paths of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Remember, the fear of God was the beginning of knowledge. There is no fear of God. What was that scripture again? I know it was Romans. 3:10 through 18. Yeah. That is why the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit is essential. We cannot be saved without it. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, and the sin is that they don't believe in Jesus, because Jesus paid for every other sin. And he also convicts the worlds of righteousness and judgment of righteousness, because Jesus went to the Father, indicating that his sacrifice was accepted, and judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So if you refuse Christ, you tie your wagon to the ruler of this world who is judged, and you're judged with him. So this is what the Holy Spirit ministry throughout the church age has been to the unbelieving world. Every unbeliever is convicted this way by the Holy Spirit. And that's what draws people to Christ. Because, you know, if our if the unbeliever's mind says, my, my sister told me this. You know, we grew up in a terrible liberal church. And uh, when she was a teenager, I don't know what was going on. She was with her friends at night. And she was looking up at the stars, and she said to herself, I'm going to hell. <laughs> that was the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. He does. But he has a ministry to the unbeliever. His ministry to the unbeliever is of conviction. Okay? That is why we, when we evangelize the lost, we, we should co cooperate with him. Because the sin he is convicting the unbelieving world of is that they do not believe in Jesus. He doesn't convict them of their gambling. He doesn't convict them of their pornography use. He doesn't convict them of lying. He convicts them of the fact that they do not believe in Jesus. 
That's what John, I think it was John 16, Jesus said. And so that's what you tell people about Jesus. Um, you, you know, the Lordship salvation, which is neo-Calvinism, which is beyond what even Calvin said, is that you have to make Jesus your Lord before you are saved or as you are saved. An unbeliever has no ability to do that. The Holy Spirit is required for us to obey God, too. You know, the New Testament is full of commands. There's a command to go to church. There's a command to pray. There's a command to give. There's a command to forgive when people injure you. There's all these commands. If an unbeliever tries to do that, they it's, it, it's just failure. <laughs> after failure, after failure, they can't do it. You can only do it with the Holy Spirit's power. And and only imperfectly, because we still battle with that sin nature, you know. Until we are dead or resurrected. The sin nature at that point will be gone. We will only have our new nature, which desires to follow God, and we will perfectly follow him at that time as Jesus does now. But the Holy Spirit does have a ministry to the unbelieving world, and that is convincing them. They need Jesus. They must have Jesus, or they're tying their wagon to Satan's cart, because he has been judged. So, but yeah, so I mean, wisdom here is shouting. She's not out. You don't have to hunt, find her. She's right near you, and your problem is your own will. That's your problem if you're when you're an unbeliever. So, and that's why we, I know I think it's in 2 Corinthians, we are ambassadors of God. We're begging people to turn to Christ. That is our mission here on earth. As we're waiting to be raptured, our mission here is to beg people to turn to be reconciled to God. So yeah, we're image bearers of God, and that's a dangerous place. He has given us choice. He will not take it away. He will he will refuse to take it away, even if it sends us to hell. <laughs> he will not take away that image that he gave us. So it's awesome gift, but it's uh, can be dangerous, misused. So let's see. Verse 22, verse 22 is three categories of sinners kind of with worsening, um, you know, resistance to wisdom. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? So the simple-minded just doesn't, you know, they're not antagonistic to God. They're just, they don't believe, you know. And scoffers delight in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Fools hate knowledge. The quarterly said something about these two. Where was that? Okay, here it is. Dan Allender, in his book *Bold Love*, sees a clear distinction among these three types of people. The simple are normal sinners who are the most capable of seeing the error, error of their ways and repenting. Fools tend to be impulsively angry people bent on controlling others. Do you know anybody like that? Oh, 
I know people like that. Yeah. Bent on controlling others and often demand conformity to their way of doing things. The mocker is a calloused, evil person who not only wants control, but seeks to destroy the spirits of those he or she scoffs at. None of these three types are beyond redemption. Some are simply more deeply entrenched in their ways than others. And wisdom, personified here, recognizes this. And verse 23 is a gift. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. Remember, this was given in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit functions in a different way now to believers, where every single believer is filled with the Holy Spirit or given the Holy Spirit and dwelt. That didn't happen in Solomon's day routinely. It happened, you know, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for service, for things to do. But it's a great promise. And then verses 24 through 27 is wisdom personified, giving sinners over to their own ways. So God is patient. He is extremely patient, but he is not infinitely patient. That's what Dan has been teaching us about the flood, right? God waited a long time before the flood, but it wasn't an infinity. It did happen. And that is what wisdom is talking about in verse 24 through 27. I called, you refused. I stretched out my hand. No one paid attention. You neglected my counsel. You didn't want want my reproof. So what does she do? I will laugh at your calamity. That doesn't sound nice, (laughs) does it? You know, God is sarcastic. If anybody says God is not sarcastic, they're not reading the Bible very much. He is sarcastic. You know, when people refuse, they refuse, they refuse. And, you know, he finally lets them have what they want. You know, like Psalm 2 says, the rulers, you know, they want to throw off his God's fetters, you know, and he says, the Lord in heaven laughs at them. He laughs at them. So, um, yeah, God is sarcastic. And wisdom here is laughing at their calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Now, this reminds me of Romans 1. There are three scary passages in Romans 1. I would say our culture today is a Romans 1 culture. Uh, Romans 1 culture is uh, a culture that has thrown off God's shackles. God's shackles have been thrown off, and it's due to idolatry. And eventually God lets them have what they want. Verse 23, people exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man's birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Then there's verse 24, therefore God gave them over. He says, okay, go ahead. In the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. What is that? That's promiscuity, isn't it? He gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. That's promiscuity. 
Then he goes on, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature then rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's idolatry. Okay, so for this reason God gave them over. Second time. God said, okay, go ahead. You know. And what did he give them over to this time? To degrading passions. For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So the second handing over is homosexuality. That's a culture that has been handed over now twice by God to do what they want. Okay, here, homosexuality. Then, verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, so he's handed them over twice, they have not repented, God gave them over. The third time, he said, okay, do what you want, to a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. It's, it's chaos. It's anarchy, you know. And uh, to a depraved mind, they can't think anymore. Now, I think the transgender movement fits that perfectly. They can't think. They don't know what sex they are. They cannot think, you know? And it is from God saying, okay, have your way. If you have your way, you will end up destroyed. And um, that's where our culture is. But this is the positive side about God, yeah. And, and, you know, since the Lord still has us here in this environment, uh, it is a very dark environment, so our lights should be able to shine exceedingly brightly in this very dark environment as we hang on to the truth and point people to the truth and cooperate with the Holy Spirit who is convicting them of their sin, that they do not believe in Jesus. Transgender people can be saved. Everybody can be saved. You know, the depraved mind. I, you know, I think, well, I don't want to, never mind. Wisdom calls out. Wisdom is easy to find. You don't have to go very far. You have to go down to the Bible bookstore and pick up one. And, um, but people have difficulty listening. That's, that's the problem with human beings. Okay, so section six. Oh, wow. My mind just malfunctioned. It's section D, Wisdom's Offer. That's Proverbs uh, chapter 1 and verse 28 through 33. So I'll read that one. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Now, I want to say something about this. Everybody sins. Christians sin. You know. If you're a Christian, you can you can sin worse than an unbeliever. That's possible to do. It happened in the Corinthian church. There was someone involved in incest in the Corinthian church, and Paul said, not even the unbelievers do this. 
you will still go to heaven. Okay. However, and the promise of 1 John 1, 9 is there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you sin bad and you confess your sin and turn back to the Lord, your relationship with the Lord will be restored. What will not be restored is the scar. The scar that's left from that sin. And that's what he's saying here by from wisdom. They will call on me, I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. You can change your life in a way to the worse that cannot be reversed if you sin. Your fellowship with God can be restored. You will not lose heaven, but you, your life will be degraded in this life by sin. And, you know, not all sin can be reversed. That's what happened to David. After his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband, his kingdom was in an uproar after that. Several of his sons killed each other. They tried to take over his kingdom from him. You know, it was chaos after that sin. David's fellowship was restored with the Lord, and David will be in heaven. He will be resurrected. He is saved. But that scar did not go away from his sin. So we want to avoid sin, is what I'm trying to say. So, verse 29, Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. See, the sin itself will destroy you if you're involved in sin. The sin itself. But if you listen to wisdom, you can live securely and be at ease from the dread of evil. What a blessing. It doesn't matter what situation you're living in. You can be free of the dread of evil. But Galatians 6.8 says, you reap what you sow. And that's what this says. So that's all the quarterly goes for. Oh, perfect. Let me just go over quickly chapter 2. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this is an outline. If you ask for discernment and seek it sincerely, it will lead to God. If you ask for discernment and seek it sincerely, it will lead you to God. Verses 6 through 8, the Lord gives wisdom and protects his own. Verses 9 through 11, then wisdom will enter your heart if you seek it. It will enter your heart. Verses 12 through 16, wisdom will warn you of evil men. You will be discerning to reject evil men. Verses 17 through 19, this is what I was thinking about before. Wisdom will warn you off of immoral women and sexual temptation. Verses 20 and 21, the upright will live. Verse 22, the evil will die. Very cut and dried. <laughs> I'm not looking at you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. 
that's that's clear cut. The upright will live. That means physically live. The evil will die. Evil will kill you. Sin will kill you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us not to sin. We pray that you'd help us to respond to wisdom. We thank you that it has led us all to God. We're all followers of yours. And we pray that you would increase our wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.